I'm Megan Rosenthal. And I'm Alexis Lee. And this is the Mayo Lab Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to season two of the Mail Lab podcast. And welcome to Dr. Bradshaw and Dr. Smith today. Thank you for joining us. We're glad to be here. I'm so excited. We're tackling the topic I think that is long awaited in the mm-hmm. stigma world of social media. It's, mm-hmm. We all have it right now, good, bad, ugly, and different. And if you don't realize you have it, you definitely do. So I'm really excited to talk to you both because you guys are doing some active research in the field, which is so exciting. But before we dive into that, would you each just take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got into this work? Sure. So my name is Amanda Bradshaw. I am an assistant professor of integrated marketing communications here at the University of Mississippi in the School of Journalism and New Media. Um, And I got my PhD from the University of Florida, where I started to study the nexus between maternal health decision making and social network interactions. Uh, And so just kind of seeing how that ties together. And I really became interested in this work during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, when we were all six feet apart, kind of physically isolated, but virtually connected. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see, especially with adolescents uh, and mothers with social Mm -hmm. media use with that kind of dyad, um, what that would be like. Mm -hmm. So interesting. (laughs) And I'm Marquita Smith. I'm our associate dean for grad programs and research in the School of Journalism and New Media. And my background is really in looking at public health communication Mm -hmm. more in a global context. Um, But I also am interested um, in just thinking about the pandemic and how people coped during that time. I actually moved to the University of Mississippi in 2020 right in the middle of the pandemic. And so I can tell you how doing things virtually was my lifeline um, Mm -hmm. to transitioning Mm -hmm. to a new community. Mm -hmm. And so when Dr. Bradshaw told me that this is what she was working on, I said, that sounds really exciting. I'd like to participate. And she said, yeah, you can can help us out. So we're excited to be working on the project. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we did get joys of being hosted, we did get a sneak peek of some of the data that you've collected so far. But before we get into the data, could you just walk us through a little bit about kind of what the what the goal of the project is and, and what y'all have been doing so far? Yes. So the goal of the project, we're starting with mothers. So we're interviewing mothers uh, mm-hmm. who have adolescent children, which is defined as the ages of 10 to 19 okay. uh, during COVID-19 lockdowns. And we asked them about their own social media usage mm-hmm. during that time, as well as their children's social media usage. Uh, so any kind of mental health um, issues that they experienced during that time, how they coped, how they maybe set limits around that use. Uh, and so the goal of the project was just to explore uh, from the mother's perspective what was going on. And then a future project might explore from the adolescent children's perspective if mm-hmm. that perspective matches. Interesting. Interesting. Well, and mm-hmm. the thing I love about this project is that you all are focusing on the perspective of the of the parent, the mother in this case, right? So much of the literature and the data that you've seen to date has been really focused on kind of the impact it's had on children or the perspective of young people who are using social media, right? And and I can't even think off the top of my head if there's been one that's actually talked to young people about their social media use, but just the kind of the, the implications or the impact of social media on, on the young people. So how did you come with, up with the idea of focusing on on the mothers and their perspective on social media use as a, as a lens to take to this conversation? That's a great question. Um, So we know that mothers are the primary health decision makers in the home, Mm -hmm. and what they do guides so much of what happens as far as child rearing. A lot of mothers are still the primary 
parent or mm-hmm. they take on the primary responsibility for the parenting role. And the research shows during COVID-19 that was certainly true. They were working from home. They were balancing the stress, the mental load of their own careers often mm-hmm. with parenting at home, now helping children do homework in a more time-intensive way, trying to balance everything. We know that people had more screen time, mm-hmm. um, both parents and children. And mm-hmm. so just trying to see that interaction and how everyone coped with that, uh, we thought that would be an interesting lens to yeah. take. Yeah, no, that is very, very yeah. cool. And I'm interested, before y'all got, we get into all of it, what did y'all suspect? Like, what was your hypothesis oh. getting into it? Like, what did you think <laughs> you were going to find? Oh, I thought it would all be bad. What did you think? <laughs> well, I thought so, too. I, I just knew that I, I was fearful that people have so much shame, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. people allowed their kids to to lose themselves (laughs) in screens and in social media. And I felt like there will be a lot of guilt Mm. parenting happening there. Yeah. Very. That's very cool. Okay. Uh, So juxtaposition, what did you, let's talk through some of the findings that you had of reality versus what we thought. So it was very much a mixed bag. Mm. And the third person effect was very prevalent. So even when parents would talk about, Uh, social media usage, especially in cases where there weren't limits or the children used a whole lot more screens than they were used to, just because they were all surviving and trying to get work and school done, they very much saw it as applying to other people's children, not mine. So most of the parents felt like they had appropriate limits in their households. The mothers felt like their children were doing okay, but Mm -hmm. many times they had anecdotes about other people's children. You know, little Johnny over there, my neighbor's kid is watching, you know, 20 hours a day and is really addicted to video games. It's really a problem and using social media in these unhealthy ways. But there was very much a distancing. And so I think when they were looking at their own household, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, these effects I'm not seeing as prevalently here, perhaps because I'm doing a good job or there are limits in place or um, my child might be younger, so maybe not on all of the platforms. Uh, Also, the mothers of boys um, and of older children as well seemed to distance a little bit. So they said, I don't think my children would tell me if they were having problems as much which was Hmm. really interesting. And Hmm. so the absence of a conversation in some cases indicated positivity, that nothing bad Mm. was happening. Yeah, I had a lot of silver lining parents as well. Really? That said, well, you know, my son is an introvert. And so this was, he was living his best life, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And he had an opportunity to be at home. It was, you know, it was his, his, it was his jam. Right, right. He found his his groove and he was able to connect with other introverts. And then they had little groups, uh, social groups. And so he became more social uh, when he was taken out of, uh, you know, the school environment. So, I was surprised uh, to find that there were more silver linings than I could have uh, anticipated mm-hmm. uh, in some of my conversations. Um, even if they denoted some struggle mm-hmm. with the adjustment and the transition um, to not be in a school mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. they still saw positives, you know, in, in the isolation. And so that was intriguing. As a fellow introvert, I was totally, you had to be careful, like, about <laughs> who you said that in front of, but, like, lockdown was totally my jam. I was like, yes. You know, but I was on Zoom eight hours a day, yeah. <laughs> like, literally eight hours a day, but it felt so much less burdensome because I was mm-hmm. at home during that mm-hmm. time. So I totally, I totally feel and appreciate that. That is so interesting. I mean, yeah. there's so many things there to start to unpack. Alexis, where do you want to start? I, well, I, know I, your brain's, I think like, it's so interesting that we don't talk about a lot the silver linings of kids that maybe in students that are struggling or don't feel like they fit in, quote unquote, where they are geographically, that there's this whole world online where they can feel at home. Mm -hmm. And I think we talked a little bit about and like 
people that are struggling, a lot of people can find online support groups and even just and not even support groups for, for students specifically, just places where they feel seen, heard, celebrated, people enjoy what they mm-hmm. enjoy. We don't really talk mm-hmm. about that a lot. And I think there's so much, I mean, parents are obviously seeing it. They're seeing their kids and they become more alive. And I think there's a line there. Like, and I don't think any of us have figured out of like how much screen time is too much, but also how connected, if they're feeling more connected, we mm-hmm. want them to thrive. And so I just think that's, I don't know. I just think that's a topic. I don't know how we dig into that right now because there's probably not a lot of research around it. But I just think that's such an interesting finding of there's spaces and places mm-hmm. where this can be encouraged and good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is just well, I think Pandora's box. Yeah, right. Well, because I, I think that, like, so much of the conversation we've had around this topic in the media has been, like, it's all bad. Like, it's all bad and it all causes terrible things to happen. Um, and then – but I think as a as a consumer of that, if I take my researcher hat off for a second as a consumer of that, okay, what do you do with that, right? Because it's everywhere. We – Email is social media. LinkedIn is social media. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of the different things. And all of us have them. I can count on two fingers the number of people I know who are not on any social media Mm -hmm. platform. Um, And so how do you – how do you find a way out of that? And I think that's what we're hearing from the parents that you all talk to is that there's – they're trying to find a way – to mentally work through the balance between needing to be on social media and online and have screen time with their kids for themselves, for their kids, for school, for all of those different things, and that they're working through what does that balance really look like from my from my family's perspective. They might have a problem. Little Johnny's mom might have a problem, but my family, we're good. We're good. So could you walk us through and thinking through, like, what works? Because I'm very curious about the boundaries people set up for their own families. Like, did you all get into what those boundaries look like for their houses? Because um, I'd be curious to know what they what they said they did. So we did look at the boundaries Mm -hmm. um, that they set up. And so it really varied. Um, They described it as a negotiation, Hmm. which I really liked. Mm -hmm. Um, And the parents actually said, you know, a lot of these parents are Generation X or even some older millennials. Mm -hmm. And those generations either didn't have phones growing up or got them late, like in high school, you Mm -hmm. know, or beyond in college. Mm -hmm. And so for them, it was very easy going into parenting to say, my kid will not get a phone. Or, you know, they will not have social media mm-hmm. until high school or until right. they're driving or something like that. But they quickly found the children were so left out mm. of, like, for example, competition dance team. Everyone's interacting in the group chat in this way. Mm-hmm. Or the kids wouldn't have access to certain knowledge about extracurriculars or things going on in the community or at school. That really there was a need to have some sort of communication, especially during the COVID-19 time frame. Mm-hmm. So they described things like, well, they could have messenger kids on my phone. So they can communicate with grandparents or with friends or with certain people at school you know, on my device where I can check it. I have the password. It's very limited to when I let them have my phone. Gotcha. Or if they do have their own phone, it might be a Gab device. Mm. So it's a very specific device. You cannot download additional apps. So you're very limited to what's on there. You know, social media may, may or may not be on some of these devices. If they did have social media, it was often you must use it in the common areas of the home. Mm. You can only use it, you know, between these hours, maybe only on the weekends or, you know, not on a school night. You must mm. stay out in the open. You must put your phone in this charging bin. Mm. Uh, for us to have dinner together as a family. You must, um, you know, check in with me. I can check your phone at any time. Like, I'm paying for it, so Mm. I have the right to check and see who you're communicating with. Uh, There was certainly a fear of predators Mm. that a lot of people brought up, and Mm -hmm. so they wanted to have access. Uh, One mom navigated the whole, her child wanted Instagram, and she wasn't ready for her to have it, so she said, you cannot post a picture of your face. You can have a pet account, 
So they created an account for their dog, hmm. and it got a lot of followers. So it kind of scratched that itch of being present on Instagram, sure. can connect with friends, but not showing the child's face. But now it's a negotiation. Now mm-hmm. the child's a little bit older. Do we let her start taking pictures of her face and you know presenting that to the world? So what does that look like? So each huh. age and stage, it seemed like there was very much a discussion. Now we have the phone. Here's how we're going to use it. Here are the parameters. Here's the mm-hmm. type of device or the type of platform you can be on and in what capacity. Interesting. In many of my cases, uh, parents were, most of the young people were looking at YouTube. Oh, okay. And so it was personalities on YouTube, Mm. um, entertainers on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so not so much in terms of engaging in Instagram or Mm -hmm. those kinds of social Mm -hmm. media, um, depending on the age of the young people. They were finding personalities that they liked on Mm -hmm. YouTube. And sometimes it was old shows, you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of looking at it as movie viewing. But Mm -hmm. it was also just kind of becoming fans Mm. of different things on YouTube. And so I was a bit surprised Mm -hmm. at how much that became a staple Mm. uh, in people's homes and how parents felt less intimidated by Mm -hmm. that kind of engagement versus people being on Twitter or mm-hmm. X or, you know, other kinds of social yeah. media. And so younger people were finding favorite shows on YouTube and some throwback huh. shows. You know, their their oh. kids were finding shows that they grew up watching on YouTube and just kind of binge watching those throughout the, the, the time. And so, so I think YouTube really took a bump uh, in terms yeah. of viewership. Hmm. You know, during the pandemic as well. And sure. sometimes we don't think of it as being a social right. site, but it, it yeah. very much is. Absolutely. It did because they would describe it was almost this active versus passive use. So like they're just consuming, uh, right, you know, right, hours right, right. of content. Yeah. Right. Or even if they created their own, there was one child, the family that we spoke to said they loved cooking videos and creating videos. Oh, that's fine. And creating content, but you sure. kind of create it at home and then you post it. So it's almost like a one and done. Mm-hmm. And you're not interacting too much over that content. So people might comment and you get validation in your identity as a chef. Yeah. Um, or you're watching, you know, the famous chef and yeah. you're watching what they're doing, but it's not so much of this back and forth gotcha. as something Direct like Instagram yeah. might promote. Interesting. Yeah. This is so I fascinating. Just, I love this. <laughs> you talked a little bit about the fear, some of the fears that parents or mothers were having, and you talked about predators. Is What other fears did they express or did they express other fears? Bullying was a yes. big one. Yeah. So mm-hmm. predators... Bullying, um, social comparison, Mm -hmm. uh, and the idea that their self-identity, I know one mom said it was so compelling the way she described it. Uh, She wanted her daughters to wait as long as possible before forming their identity around which is the best selfie to post. Mm -hmm. So not filtering your identity through what's the best for this platform or what Mm -hmm. is the best for others, but being true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that was a sentiment that was really echoed Mm -hmm. in the way the mothers would talk about you know, even their own experiences on social media, comparing themselves to other parents mm. or feeling less than, they were afraid their children would experience social comparison on these platforms or think of themselves as less than or experience those negative, mm-hmm. you know, mental health effects that have been studied before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'll add to that just a little bit. I, I found it interesting that I had one parent that said in-group, out-group, mm-hmm. right? And so even the the WhatsApp channels and the groups that her son was forming with others that they would gang up and and like block people out right yeah. so you would be out the yeah. group yeah and then you had to work your way back in the group and so she even said that she felt like that was a form of bullying mm-hmm. and that her kid was on both sides of it like he was blocked mm-hmm. out 
and he right. was blocking others out. You know, eventually they would get back together. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. But just that social comparison and then just kind of the in-group, out-group sure. was a real thing. Um, that, you know, depending on the week, that was prevalent. Right. Uh, and and having to try to talk through that, like how this is, like why is this person out today and mm-hmm. what happened when you were out and having mm-hmm. those kinds of conversations was yeah. really um, a bit complex. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Well, I think about it. I mean, I think about, I reflect back on my own childhood. Like there was totally moments where you like— you were in the in crowd and you weren't in the in crowd and what was that? But then we didn't have the magnif- the magnification of it in social media and like the kind of feels like the stakes are higher now. I mean, kids are kids. They're going to mm-hmm. do mean kid things because that's what kids do. Um, but the opportunity to have that conversation with the oversight in, you know, in that home and to, to know when your kid was in and or out, mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting opportunity that my parents certainly didn't have because there was no way ever in a million <laughs> gajillion years I was telling my parents anything about being bullied or participating in being a bully when I was in school. That's just not something that we did. And they had no insight into that. Interesting opportunity. Did you guys, do you guys have any insight on the conversations they would facilitate or how they would facilitate those conversations with the students and the children in their home? Yes. So one of our participants was a child psychologist. (laughs) So she had lots and lots of insights and she sees children every day that are suffering with this kind of thing. And so with her own daughter, uh, she wanted to talk about it very openly from the time the child was smaller. So here are some of the effects of social media. This mother in particular does not use a lot of social media herself Mm -hmm. because she sees what it can create in her own practice and also in herself. So Mm -hmm. the way she described during COVID-19, she did have to keep working, even though it was on virtual, it was Mm -hmm. on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And she experienced a lot of jealousy. The parents that were during lockdown, you know, with their children doing fun things Mm -hmm. and they were off work and they were all doing happy activities and she was having to be locked in her room, still trying to Zoom with her clients. And Mm -hmm. so she said she pretty much got off social media for a while and gave herself a break. Mm -hmm. But she was very open with her daughter about, hey, social media can create jealousy. It can create feelings of inadequacy. It can create self-esteem issues or identity issues. And so from an early age, these are not the healthiest platforms to be on Mm 24-7. And so we're going to work together to decide when is the right time for you to be on these, what that involvement looks like, Mm -hmm. setting boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, So she kept uh, saying that children like boundaries. They respond to consistent limits, Mm -hmm. uh, especially when you make Uh, an engaged two-way kind of dialogue Mm -hmm. about the issue. So she says she's always been willing to answer her daughter's questions. Her daughter has messenger kids. Uh, She says as the daughter gets older, she'll get other devices and Mm -hmm. other platforms, of course. But she certainly would never encourage like a 24-7 social media use where the kids have unrestricted access in their bedrooms at night Mm -hmm. by themselves because of what she does see in her practice. So the conversation that she um, spoke about with her child and what some of the other parents were saying is just this active, open mm-hmm. dialogue, uh, really talking about the issues and what they're also experiencing as parents and mm-hmm. as moms seems to work well. Hmm. So the child mm-hmm. knows they're not alone. And mm-hmm. if they are experiencing something like social comparison or feeling inadequate, they know the parent is equipped to help them navigate that. Yeah. And we asked a direct question yeah. for that, like what kind of difficult yeah. conversations were you having hmm. um, you know, during during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and in some cases, um, those things 
were tough race conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, it was a lot that happened during the mm-hmm. pandemic yeah. mm-hmm. and particularly uh, with the George Floyd. Yeah. Um, and parents were having to have those conversations and looking at, uh, in some cases, Black Lives Matter, those movements on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they had students who were in high school or going to high school, there was lots of conversations mm-hmm. about even the coverage of what to do in the pandemic. Is COVID a real thing? Is it not a real thing? Um, And so those were some of the tough, the politics um, became um, a conversation in a home uh, that two parents at least told me that they directly had to have conversations with their kids because they didn't trust the science that Mm. because of this, they get all their news on social media. And so they didn't know what was what. And so those conversations, having to navigate those conversations was tough. You are listening to the Mayo Lab podcast. For more information and resources, visit themayolab.com. Now, back to the episode. I would be curious to know, because I love that all of the parents that you spoke to seem to really have, and and this might have been your prompting, but like they're having these conversations in an ongoing kind of way. And Dr. Smith, I'd be really curious to know, like what were, what, how did they broach those topics with, you know, the the issues that were the Black Lives Matter movement, what was going on with George Floyd and all of the other people that, you know, that kind of came to a head at that moment. And, and since then, of course, how did they broach that conversation? And did the parents feel like, or at least the mothers that you spoke to, did they feel prepared to have that discussion? Because I don't, I know that's an awkward conversation for me to think about having with my, you know, a young person. And so how did they work through that? It's really interesting because one parent is a national PR Mm. director. And so she was very, I mean, she's engaged on social media every day uh, Mm -hmm. as a profession. And she had the most, uh, the least boundaries Mm -hmm. uh, for her children because she felt that, you know, they had been socialized to to be on be on social media responsibly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but her son was the one who was engaging in more activism oh, online, right? Yeah, um, and so because of that, um, that made the conversation a lot easier to at least enter mm-hmm. a dialogue about what was happening. Mm-hmm. But it was tough because it's hard to explain what you can't explain, right? Right. And so he was very emotional, very uh, upset Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. some of the things that were being posted and just the state of the nation, Mm -hmm. right? And so explaining to a 10th grader uh, that there's still hope (laughs) in humanity was, you know, where she found herself, you know, engaging in the conversation. But out of all of the parents that I spoke with, uh, this one was so much more socially conscious Mm -hmm. Uh, and some of that is just through her direct involvement and mm-hmm. kind of how she engaged. But she did talk about how she wasn't prepared for the heaviness mm-hmm. of the conversation. And then this is when mental health experts came into play, mm-hmm. right? So um, we did ask them if they had been seeing somebody previously um, mm-hmm. before the pandemic mm-hmm. and if their kids were in any kind of um, counseling. Mm-hmm. And so that was an additional support for her because mm-hmm. the conversations were really heavy mm-hmm. and she needed extra support, mm-hmm. you know, to, to help him to understand mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, yeah. the world was still here. Yeah. And so it, it was not an easy dialogue to have. No. Uh, but I was impressed that young people were asking questions sure. and concerned yeah, about absolutely. what was happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as for as heavy as that is, it is 
brings me hope, at least anyway, that young people are engaged in those kinds mm-hmm. of conversations in a way that, that certainly wasn't normal when I was younger, um, at least not at the, at the scale and magnitude that it is right now, but that they also need help mm-hmm. figuring the sun will rise tomorrow and we will be okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think, too, it's interesting that what you guys are saying, a lot of the conversations are around social media aren't directly about social media, but more about values. Like, what do you value? Mm -hmm. What do you stand for? And how do you know that before you enter into social media? And I just think that's so encouraging and also challenging for parents in a way to have that conversation with their children at home. Um, And so I'm interested, too, to see if you guys know about like the mothers and their val- like their their value about social media, what they valued, if they used it more, did that seem to reflect on the children the same way? If they had more social media use, did the children have more social media use? I don't know if that's something you asked or noticed at all, but I'm interested in that. That's a great question. Um, so we do want to point out we had a pretty diverse sample. I don't know have the exact numbers in front of me, but we have uh, a good bit of Caucasian moms. We had several black moms, and we also have uh, some women from Korea, hmm. uh, so Korean-Americans as well. Mm-hmm. And so the, each of them maybe had a different experience, yeah. which mm-hmm. I think is really interesting, mm-hmm. and it's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think across the board, they pretty much were trying to model for their children, like if they felt strict screen time limits were important for them personally, they would implement mm-hmm. it in the home. Mm-hmm. If they didn't see a value in screen time limits, and not all of them did, they didn't consciously go into limited, especially with school being on an iPad. Mm-hmm. I mean, my four-year-old takes literacy tests on an iPad. Like, it's yeah. just so ingrained right. with school being at home. You know, they were going to be on screens a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so some of them didn't have, like, a strict screen time limit yeah. for themselves or their child. And they would kind of reflect on that during the interview. Like, maybe I should, but I don't know that I need to. Like, it's kind of fine. Mm-hmm. We just navigate it. Uh, but they sort of, um, you know, were more cognizant of it as we talked. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, here are some strategies we use. Or um, they did talk about one of the big silver linings was being outside a lot more hmm. as a mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. So even the ones that did have to work at home and continued working, mm-hmm. uh, they did spend more intentional family time together. Mm-hmm. Some of the kids came home from college, right? Mm-hmm. College is mm-hmm. closed. And right. so now the older siblings are home. The siblings are spending time together. They described putting beach towels outside and seeing the neighbors, you know, six feet apart. <laughs> so they would put them and they could still see their little neighborhood pod. Yeah. And so a lot of them were away from screens in that way. It's like they use screens mm-hmm. for school. And then some families put screens away and just had all this time together outside. Mm-hmm. Some families continued the screen time in the evenings, and it really just depended. Um, yeah. I'll be curious what Dr. Smith thinks from her interviewees. What I think one of the things that was um, striking to me is that most of my f- people were primary breadwinners. Mm. And so it looked very different mm-hmm. for them because mm-hmm. they were on the screen yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them are in pretty high-profile positions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the stress was was a lot for them because they were on 24-7. Mm-hmm. Like, now you're on, how do I figure out how to help my kid understand this math problem? We didn't work mm-hmm. the problem this way, and mm-hmm. now they want them <laughs> yes. to do it this way. And then <laughs> um, just kind of being professionals and perfectionist, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was really messing with people. It's like, yes. I can't work this problem. What kind of, <laughs> this is how we used to do it. <laughs> yes. um, and so it became a new challenge and yeah. a new something um, for yeah. them to figure out. And so uh, they did have the common theme of, yes, we're being able to spend more family time, mm-hmm. but but even that family time became stressful because, mm-hmm. you know, they were already working 50, 60-hour work weeks, right. and mm-hmm. now I'm on homework duty 
you know, yeah. with multiple kids, right. you know, all day, uh, every yeah. day. And so it the demands and the level of stress and anxiety about it all mm-hmm. uh, was very different, mm-hmm. uh, at least from the people I talked to. It's like nobody took any time off. Mm. Uh, and I had one person that got laid off. And so oh, that yeah. was also yeah. stressful. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about, yes, I can now make my kids the priority, but also thinking about I'm the chief earner uh, mm. in the house. Mm-hmm. And so... It was a, some different conversations um, yeah. for the women that I spoke to, yeah. the moms. And mm-hmm. interesting enough, these moms were all a part of a mother kind of Facebook group. Hmm, interesting. Um, and so they had to to rely on outside sources to support them mm-hmm. um, and trying to figure out how to be a working mom mm-hmm. uh, and how to parent from home during the pandemic. So I, f- I found that to be really yeah. interesting is that they they did seek support mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in a social media mm-hmm. context, but it yeah. was a little bit different. That yeah. social media support system, I mean, it came up time and time again, like, you know, forming mm-hmm. a community, mm-hmm. learning what other people are doing, not in a comparative way negatively, mm-hmm. but positively. Right. Mm-hmm. Because that homework stressor, you know, I don't have an older child, mm-hmm. but the ones that did have older children where the children were independent, they were mm-hmm. used to going to school, they had a routine, they right. did it themselves more mm-hmm. or less. Right. And now the parents are having to be actively involved and create checklists for homework. And right. here's what we're doing now, helping them manage their time, because right. a lot of the schools did not have very clear plans in place yet. It was Mm -hmm. so new, especially Mm -hmm. early in 2020. Mm -hmm. There was not a lot of digital media literacy training. There wasn't much. It was just kind of, here you go, run with it. Here's 30 (laughs) minutes of instruction, and now you have the whole day kind of free. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so those parents had to be more involved to help their children. Okay, we have to structure our projects. Mm -hmm. We have to structure our work day, our school day. Mm -hmm. Show me what you did. I'm now your accountability person. Uh, helping them learn those math problems, like you're mentioning. And so I was surprised by how many moms said that was the most stressful part. You know, Mm -hmm. on top of their full-time job, on top of being a career woman, a mom, they're now having to manage, you know, these older children, high school-age children, even college-age children, Mm -hmm. helping them navigate online learning with no instruction, no no manual, you Mm -hmm. know, little Mm -hmm. guidance. Mm -hmm. And the older kids seem to struggle a lot um, with their mental health. Mm. Uh, some of the younger kids, I think it was maybe easier. They had different little pods or the way the elementary schools were mm-hmm. set up. There were more group interaction opportunities. Sure. It was a little bit less pressure. Mm-hmm. But for some of the older children, the moms described that they really struggled. Um, and so they also struggled to help them adapt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, I'm curious for you, but one of the things that was just rose to the top of the conversation mm-hmm. is that moms were concerned about their academic performance of mm-hmm. their students mm-hmm. um, and really upset about, you know, grades, you know, fail or just are they going to be prepared, mm-hmm. you know, to, mm-hmm. to go to college? Will they be competitive? You know, mm-hmm. what is happening to their academic mm-hmm. performance during mm-hmm. this time? And so so there was a lot of pressure mm-hmm. uh, on moms to try to help people keep their grade point averages up and to be competitive and to make sure, mm-hmm. you know, are you reading the classics that you're supposed to read? Right. And, right. Um, so parents were very concerned about educational achievement, sure. but didn't know how to keep people on track sure. in the in the new space and, and within the platform. So right. um, that was something that resonated with me as I had more and more conversations is yeah. that they really were concerned mm-hmm. about academic achievement. Interesting. That is, I'm stressed out just thinking about like <laughs> having to have a job and do your job stuff. And, and the idea of when we went online, 
you're infinitely more accessible because I can't disappear from my office and nobody can find me for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Like if I'm not physically in a place, people can't find me. Um, but they just like send you a Zoom link or send you a text or, you know, there's an emergency. We need to get online. And then having to deal with also the newness of getting your kids online. And especially I, I, it kind of when you were talking, um, uh, Dr. Bradshaw, about the about the 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 hard, the diff, more difficult time that older students have, it kind of speaks to like, even young people get set in their ways, right? So you have a routine and you have a process and you have a thing that you do every day to kind of help you set up for success. And then that got taken away and then you had to recalibrate, right? And so working through with that with your your older children. Um, and then of course, managing, like we had a pandemic, we had the first pandemic in a hundred years and nobody knew what we were doing or what was going on. And so the newness of that information every day, it was like, you know, wash your groceries, don't wash your groceries, don't go outside, <laughs> breathe here, do this, you know, and all of these different kind of things. And that information was changing so rapidly over that time. And again, because it's not anybody's fault, it was what it was. We just didn't know. Um, I, I feel stressed just thinking, listening to the recollection of what these women had to do and go through and I don't have we asked yet like what how did they feel at the end of all of this how were the were the moms okay they are okay 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 Okay. I think for the most part they are glad it's like the the year we never want to live again so they have some cherished memories Mm -hmm. of some time with their children uh the children did uh make it through we started to add in a question toward the end uh how did your children's grades do Mm -hmm. ultimately Mm -hmm. were they you know did they dip Mm -hmm. and a few children's grades did dip but they've now recovered for the most part so they were maybe an a or b student they had a few c's now they're back to an a and b student Mm -hmm. some of the grades stayed you know stagnant they Mm -hmm. pretty much were able to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and social media, I think, was a support for the moms mm-hmm. in that way because it was the way they could check in mm-hmm. and say, how am I doing? Am mm-hmm. I alone in this? Mm-hmm. They could ask questions of other moms, often the weaker ties connections. So mm-hmm. acquaintances, these closed Facebook groups were resources for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not necessarily their close friends and family who were sometimes sources of comparison. It's like, how is my sister doing? Uh, Managing her career and staying at home with her children. And, and you know, sometimes they had conflict over... How are we going to handle COVID-19 in our extended family? How are we going to keep mom and dad safe if we have elderly relatives? Mm -hmm. Some of the participants felt that they were on a little bit of an island Mm. in their extended family. Maybe they were more cautious than their relatives were. Uh, And so mm -hmm. they felt like, we don't want to go out and expose anyone, but now we can't be around you because Mm -hmm. you as my sibling are more comfortable going out and you and your children are going to these places that we're not going. And so they felt more isolated with their strong ties connections, those close friends and families. Mm, And so it reminded me of Granovetter's Strength of Weak Ties theory from 1973 where mm-hmm. those weak ties can play a role so those Facebook acquaintances those moms right. groups maybe they would go in there and vent and get some of that pressure out mm-hmm. and people would affirm and validate them yeah. that they're not crazy for feeling that way or they're having the same struggles too mm-hmm. and so I thought that was a very interesting that connection role mm-hmm. that social media played despite being so isolated and it played a role that the strong ties could not necessarily fulfill for them that is so interesting. Gosh, I love human beings. <laughs> They're so say. cool, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it was cool and fascinating. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the conversations that uh, resonated with me as well was uh, <laughs> my mom said that for Thanksgiving, you know, her her kids didn't want to go because her her brother and his family, they didn't want to mask. And so... Her kids took a hard line on it, right? Mm. And so they were like, we're not going there. You know, we don't know where they've been. And so 
it was interesting, like, yeah. what was dictating tradition right. and, and starting new traditions and that it was, you know, young people that were like, yeah, no, they've got a no mask policy over there. <laughs> right. you know? And it's, you know, we thought it was, you know, at an mm. adult level, but right. young people were concerned and, and talking about it and, and, t- and setting, you know, norms for the, for the house, the house rules, right? So it's interesting. The public health person in me kind of mm. loves that. I'm like, oh, yeah. Gold kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was interesting. So she was like, um, you know, we got, well, we uninvited ourselves to Thanksgiving. Sure. Yeah. And then trying to figure out, like, how to smooth that over, right? right. Moms, were, <laughs> moms were in that role, too, right? That's crazy. No, that's so What I love is, too, and we've kind of all, I think you both have said it, and we haven't explicitly said it, of, like, there's not a one-size-fit-all approach mm-hmm. to this conversation. And what works this month might not work next month or might not work next year, like, there's so much adaptation and there's so much conversation that I'm hearing that needs to be continued to have had in families. Or if you're not having it, bring it in in a way of like and talk to your weak ties and get in community, things that are going to be so supportive and know that what you do today isn't what you have to do forever for you and for your students. Like you mm-hmm. said, Megan, and like mm-hmm. what you guys were saying, like the older students get so in routine and it is so good for us. But also, how do you change seasons of life well? And it's such an opportunity mm-hmm. to do that around social media, around, you know, like a, a COVID-19. And hopefully we never have one again. But being able to have those, prepare for those conversations, those turns that maybe you don't expect and know that the world isn't ending, the sun mm-hmm. will come up. But, like, you don't have to have the answers for the rest of forever in your household, which I just think is, is so sweet and such a good reminder mm-hmm. for parents. Um, to have. This is like a very refreshing reflection on mm-hmm. the use of social media because you see a lot in the media with the with the reports that have come out over the last six, eight, 12 months, what have you, that, you know, like we're, we're, we're hearing more and more like ban it. You know, there's a lawsuit that was filed last week against a number of the social media giants and, you know, everything has to go. But if everything went, all of the really good stuff that you all, you know, shared from the moms and families that you talked to, we wouldn't have those things anymore. And, and so this kind of all or nothing mentality is really not the best pathway forward and 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 the reality is which i appreciate also about what you're saying it's not true it's not how people are using it we're not you know most people it sounds like that you spoke to weren't on it 24 7 they weren't using it to excess they were using it within a balanced form that worked for them and their family and their situations and yes there are some folks that have struggles with it but that's not necessarily the whole picture and i think that gets lost sometimes in what we see in the wider kind of world and conversation about social media and as kind of media experts yourselves and communication experts yourself, what, what do you, how do you balance off what you heard from families versus what you see in the media and see in those other conversations? That's a tough one. (laughs) I mean, we actually asked them at the end of the interviews, um, we asked them, what would your life be like without social media? Mm -hmm. Would you want that to be a thing? Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of them said we would feel sad, actually, because Mm -hmm. they have moved around, um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe several times. They have friends in different seasons of life, Mm -hmm. friends from high school, friends from college, Mm -hmm. friends from grad school uh, that they would miss connecting with. Mm -hmm. And they want that for their children, too. We kind of have this. A lot of them use social media as a diary almost. They have pictures of their babies when they were little, and they have all these connections on there. And so I think it is not that dichotomy of if it's all good or it's all evil. Mm -hmm. It is finding the balance that mm-hmm. works for you and your family. And so I think a lot of the, a lot of the time in the media, the way media frames uh, social media is from one angle or the other. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think the conversations that need to be happening are in the middle. Mm -hmm. So it's either an agenda of, you know, the social media giant trying to pass Instagram kids is something we actually brought up. With our participants, we said, what do you think about Instagram kids? And we asked them directly. Yeah. And some of them said, you know, I'm not sure that would be a good thing. Even though we support mm-hmm. social media, we want our kids to have some sort of a presence. We also understand there are, you know, mm-hmm. negative effects. There are scary mm-hmm. things. There are things on there we don't want them to encounter. Mm-hmm. And we don't want them to grow up too fast. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. even though we don't want to eradicate it, we know there's a time and a place. We also want them to have this childhood. Mm-hmm. And they have this chance to develop their identity and not be constantly comparing. And so Instagram kids was not something they widely supported Hmm. despite using social media Hmm. and despite being okay with social media. Interesting. I thought that was interesting. Interesting. I had a similar similar conversations where people were like, they'll grow out of it anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So why start them on a nugget of Instagram Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. move to the next level? And so so that was some concern. Yeah. Uh, for sure. But personally, I'm not a, very active. Okay. Uh, I'm on everything, mm-hmm. mostly lurking and yeah. uh, staying connected <laughs> to, to others. Yeah. But I'm not an active user yeah. unless I'm using it as an instruction, or, mm-hmm. right. you know, to give instruction. And so I find it to be interesting that um, what we hear the narrative is that it's it's bad for you. It's mm-hmm. killing our kids, <laughs> all of the things. Mm-hmm. But now... Because of the pandemic, much of the education that children are getting, young people are getting, is coming in some kind of digital format, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So digital textbooks. So they didn't go all the way back, right? Mm -hmm. So they took some of the best practices Mm -hmm. from learning virtually, Mm -hmm. and those things are still in place and Mm -hmm. really driving, you know, um, early education. If you've got Mm -hmm. a four-year-old that's taken competency test on mm-hmm. iPads, uh, that's happening all the way through high school. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be some engagement in mm-hmm. terms of the tech. And I think whether it's social media or engaging in, in more advanced tech, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's here to stay. Right. And I think for parents who want their young people to be well-prepared and well-adjusted, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. now they have to engage in that conversation from spaces that they didn't have to before. Right. And so I do think that's a healthy outcome in mm-hmm. terms of... People have set up, we're on the same phone plan, so I can see your usage. I know um, how long you're spending um, on your screen time Mm -hmm. on your phone because I I get a report and I can see it. And so I see parents being more sophisticated Mm -hmm. about the conversations Mm -hmm. and engaging Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that they are aware, you know, of usage. Whereas before, Mm -hmm. uh, probably not. Probably not. No, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That is very interesting. Um, this has been a super fascinating conversation, and we could probably spend hours more talking about it. But to be good stewards of everyone's time, I would like to give you guys an opportunity to tell us something that you thought we might talk about, but we have not yet talked about. Because I know we covered a lot of ground, so if there's nothing, I won't be offended. Or, or a nugget of research. Right. Or something, something else that, that you would you like to not, share. Yeah, yeah. I think I would like to just share... We talked to, you know, 25 moms, Mm -hmm. a very diverse sample Mm -hmm. from all different backgrounds, kids of all different ages in that kind of age Mm -hmm. range. Not one of them said, we have it all together. We have it figured out. (laughs) I think it's important to remember the highlight reel aspect Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. social comparison, social identity formation is real. Mm -hmm. So when you share this perfectly curated image on Instagram and other moms see it and they feel jealous and they think, I don't have it all together. Why am I not taking my child to Disney World? Like he Mm -hmm. hasn't been and this mom's going. Uh, That comparison happens to all of us. So every single person we talked to had some sort of anecdote or some sort of story Mm -hmm. where they maybe felt inadequate or 
they engaged in upward or downward comparison mm. via social media, mm-hmm. but none of them had it all together. Yeah. So we're all just comparing to one another's highlight reels, right. and none of us have it all together. And so mm-hmm. social media can just be used to connect if we take that pressure away and that lens of mm-hmm. keeping up with the Joneses via social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that would be a healthier approach. I know it's easier said than done, mm. but it seems like, you know, this research has taught me that none of us have the full answer, so it's just an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the most curious conversation I had was about moms who got COVID from their kids uh, because they sent them to school. Uh, And in one case, uh, I think in Alabama, it was the, they had the most, you could go on, depending on your last name and the alphabet, you Uh would go on a certain day. Mm. Uh So it took them a long time to close school. They was just alternating. Okay days and letting yeah. students go on the whenever it was their turn to go yeah. and so a lot of people's kids con- contracted covid and then of course brought it home mm-hmm. and so parents you know who hadn't gone out of the house you know it was brought into their homes and then not wanting to blame you know their kids <laughs> so it was like you know, how did you get it? Like, <laughs> so when your kids say, how did you get it? You know, she's like at the mailbox, right? She's yeah. like, and just, just the grace that they yeah. wanted to, they did not want to tell their children, I got it from you. Like, you brought uh, it over. <laughs> right? And so they blamed pets and blamed the oh, mailbox no. <laughs> and, and all kinds of things, um, which was really kind of, you know, something that moms would do. That's, I was supposed to say, that's right? total mom response No mom to wants that to say, situation. I'm almost near death and it's your fault, <laughs> yeah, right? And, and so that... That didn't happen, but to hear moms gracefully navigate mm. that, you know, you know, I know I got it from him yeah. because I hadn't been anywhere. Right. But I, you know, I looked at him. I couldn't, I couldn't say it, Aww. you know. And so, um, just hearing them say that, you know, the dog gave it to them, you know, <laughs> and that kind of thing was really, um, you know. A typical mom a thing total, to do. Moms so. are great. Yeah. Like, we're lucky. <laughs> I'm lucky yeah. I'm here with my mom. She's a good lady. Yeah. Um. Thank you. Thank you so much for this really amazing conversation and and starting a different conversation about mm-hmm. social media than we've seen and heard in lots of other places. When we, Dr. Bradshaw and I first communicated about the potential of, of collaborating for this um, episode of the podcast and she shared some of the data, I was like, yes, this is the discussion we need to have because Alexis and I had been to a few other events where like social media is awful mm-hmm. and everybody's off of it and we're not well, – and. Look, if that works for your family, that's awesome. But that leaves behind mm-hmm. all of the people who are using it now. And what does that look like? And and talking about this idea of social comparison, you know, okay, so then you're not on social media. And suddenly that's like the new thing to be aspiring to. And if you're not on social media or if you're on social media, you're like, oh, you're a bad mom or you're a bad parent or what have you. So thank you for letting us have a different conversation about this topic because I think it is really important and to me at least is probably a little bit more reflective of what the average person in the world is actually doing right now around social media. So thank you for being here and making the time uh, to have this chat with us. For those of you who are not in Mississippi, we just hit winter today, so it's a little bit chilly, so everybody had to get bundled up to come here. Um, so thank you for leaving your nice warm offices and homes to be here with us today, and we look forward to seeing you all next time on uh, the Mail Lab podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Mail Lab podcast. The Mayo Lab Podcast is produced by Dr. Natasha Jeter, Dr. Megan Rosenthal, Alexis Lee, Slade Lewis, and Hannah Finch. 
This podcast was recorded at Broadcast Studio in Oxford, Mississippi. The show was mixed and mastered by Clay Jones, and our original music was composed by Slade Lewis. The Mayo Lab podcast is brought to you by the William McGee Institute for Student Wellbeing. For more information on the Mayo Lab podcast, head over to themayolab.com and follow us on social media at the Mayo Lab. If you enjoyed listening to the Mayo Lab podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Megan Rosenthal, Alexis Lee, and their guests on the show. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for the medical advice of a licensed counselor or physician. The listener should consult with their mental health professional in any matters relating to his or her health or the health of a child.